Okay, we're going to commence our session this evening, and we're going to talk about um, problem solving. Okay, problem solving, this is something that you have to do on a daily basis in your life, in your place of work, in your family, in your marriage. This is a part of life, problem solving. We might as well get better at it because it's going to be around you until kingdom comes. So we have to get better at doing it so that it becomes less demanding and less stressful. All right. So I want to begin this evening by asking you a question. I'm going to suppose that you're employed in a company, those of you who are, and I want to ask you the question, what was the reason why you were employed at the company where you work now? What's the reason? Why did they employ you? Somebody speak to me. Employ you for your skills. Okay. Someone else. It's not a trick question. need for certain things to be done. They required more capacity, and so they got you on board. Okay. One more. One more person. Why in the world did they take the risk of employing you? Trustworthy? Okay. Let me tell you why they employed you. They employed you because they perceived, or rather they believed, that you can solve a perceived problem. company had a problem. The problem was either we want to increase our turnover, therefore we need a person in sales who can generate more sales. Now, if they risk to employ you and you do not generate the sales, the company has just multiplied their problem. They had too little sales, now they have too little sales plus a, plus a person to pay who's not generating sales. So when you are employed in the company, it's because through the, when they've gone through the scrutiny of the interview and shortlisting and employing you eventually, it's because the HR department holds the belief you can solve the company's problem. In other words, you are hired to solve problems. That's why you are employed, to solve a problem, a perceived problem that the company has. So, one of the fastest ways to get notice in a company to become an outstanding person is to have the ability of solving problems. In your particular field that you work in, if you can become good at solving problems, and let me give you a little tip at the beginning, because we're going to get a little technical later, but let me give you the tip now. You have time on your hands occasionally that you can use fruitfully by solving imaginary problems. Problems that do not exist yet, that you can come up with solutions for them. So when they do manifest, you already have the solution. 
because you are much better at solving a problem when you are prepared to solve it than when the problem is manifested and you then have to solve the problem. Okay? We would work much better when we're not under stress. Okay? So, this is some, one of the things I enjoy doing. I imagine a possible problem that could take place in the future and I come up with a probable solution for it. So when the problem does occur, I already have the answer. Because I took time to prepare myself for it. Okay? So that's something that you can do. It's kind of a fun thing to do because you don't really have the problem, but you already have the solution. Okay? It's a kind of mind game you can play with, with yourself. Those that solve problems are the most valuable in any organization. You'll find management, peers, subordinates, everybody gravitate to those individuals. They know that if there's a problem in this organization, this is the person who knows the answer and can solve it. In other words, your value is so high that the company cannot afford to lose you. Solving problems add value. In other words, when the company considers what kind of increment to give you on your salary, they scratch their heads because they know that at any time you are underpaid. doesn't matter how much they pay you because your value is much higher. Those that have the capacity to solve problems make the big bucks. People pay for getting problems solved. You can solve problems, you can demand any kind of money. If you're not solving problems, you're not in leadership. You're not providing leadership for anybody. And probably not even for yourself, because someone else has to lead you when there's a problem. So what we need, really, is we need those who are problem solvers to stand up. Because... Leaders in every field are looking for problem solvers. It doesn't matter which field you are in, whether you are in the IT industry, whether you're in business, whether you're in sales, whether you're in manufacturing, distribution, warehousing, people are looking for problem solvers. How can we move more cargo from point A to point B for less money and less time? You come up with a solution, you've just solved an international problem. Cargo is moving from one town to another, one city to another, on every hour of the day. <clears throat> In every domain, there is only a handful of people who are solution-minded, and they stand out from amongst their peers. Stand out like a sore finger in that industry. People know. In a particular field, if you have a problem, okay, I'm not in the travel industry, but my travel agent calls me for advice. I don't call her, she calls me. She says, I have a client traveling in a certain area. What do you recommend they do? Because my travel agent recognizes that I have traveled more than what she has traveled. And I can give her advice. 
and I help her when I have time. Okay. So you can become competent, experienced, and knowledgeable in any field you choose to be. As we said last night, if you take the time to read, study, give yourself to something, become an expert in it, and then people will call you, and sometimes you can even ask them to pay you if they call you. Standout leaders know this, and things do not improve by themselves, and faith alone won't get the job done. This is very important for us as faith-based people. We have a problem in that we use prayer to transfer problems to God. And when we're through praying, we say, that's it, Bob's your uncle, God will solve the problem, I'm off, I'm going to go play golf. No. Prayer creates the environment in which you can solve the problem. Faith without works is dead. And so we have to bring ourselves to the place where we understand, yes, prayer is an essential part of problem solving. But once I've prayed, I have to explore what are the possibilities, what are the ways in solving the problem because God, by his word, by his spirit, by his guidance and direction, will lead me to solve the problem. He says he orders the footsteps of the righteous. I have to be alert. What is the leading of God in this? You can't just pray. You know, people pray, oh God, save the people in China. And then they go out and have a meal. God says, who's going to go? How will they believe unless somebody preach? And how will someone preach unless someone send them? We, the cycle is incomplete. After you've prayed, you have to train someone, and then you have to send them. Otherwise, you've not done the job. So don't make God responsible for the things that you're responsible for. Problem solving comes in when we understand that faith alone is not going to get the job done. You need more than faith. Faith must be coupled with action, and right action requires good problem-solving skills. Faith must have action. James explained to us that faith without works is dead. You need both, faith and works. Problem-solving is a keystone, standout leadership habit. In other words, if you're able to solve problems, people automatically consider you to be leading. Some say that leadership is influence, but in my understanding, it's more than influence. Because problem-solving speaks louder to us, especially to the standout leader. In other words, if you're in leadership and you can't solve the problem, then people look beyond you for the solution. So if you're in leadership and you can solve the problem, that validates your right to lead. Because you're able to solve the problem. As we said last night, when David went to Saul, not only was he able to submit credible evidence of his ability to solve the problem, after he solved the problem, his leadership escalated. The people sang, Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousand. Now suddenly, David was more than Saul. You see, what you're able to solve escalates your leadership to the next level. Of course, David also has a good business sense because when 
he went in, he asked Saul, what will you give the man who solves this problem? Saul says, my daughter and half the kingdom. He says, you've got a deal. You see, he wasn't going to do it for free. He understood that he practiced with a bear and with a lion. He risked his life to get to that level of competence. Now he's going to save a nation and he's not going to do it for free. So he got half the kingdom. Without problem-solving abilities, a leader simply cannot move a business, an organization, a product, a service, a team, or a ministry, or even an idea forward. You must be able to solve the problems that come with all of these different aspects of life. The world is looking for those who can solve problems. And you know what? When you develop the skills to solve problems, the world will throw wealth and resources at you. People often say, I don't have the money to do a certain thing. And that may be true. But if you are able to present a solution to a problem, people will present you with the money. This is what I believe. I believe that vision attracts resources. You want to note that. Vision is like a magnetic field. It attracts the resources that you need. Until you've crystallized your dream into a vision, it does not have the power to draw the resource. When you have a vision and you're able to communicate that vision intelligently, people will throw the resource at you. Why? Because you have already distinguished yourself amongst the minority who have a vision. Most people don't. So when you're able to communicate your vision, people are interested in you. I once communicated a vision and a man gave me five million rand. He listened to my vision. He was impressed by it. He asked me, why don't you live your vision? I said, I don't have the money. He says, you now have it. I didn't even know I was interviewing for five million. I was sharing my vision enthusiastically. Because I've rehearsed it. I've memorized it. I've crystallized it. It was in my mind, in my soul. I could speak. You could wake me up in the night and I could tell you. See, once you've come to that place, it's become contagious now because you can infect anybody with it because you believe in it. This will fast track your life when you're able to solve problems. It'll get you noticed in any industry when you're able to solve problems. There's no doubt the greater your problem-solving abilities, the greater your influence in any field. Greater your problem-solving ability, the greater your influence in any field, whether you are in the music industry, whether you are in any kind of field. If you're able to solve problems in that field, people will gravitate to you. Just a friend of mine years ago, and he's a saxophonist, and something with, with the, the, the saxophone in the, it was in the luggage, and, and the, uh, the airline mishandled the, the, the container, and when he took it out of the, the, the container, uh, there was some of the very intricate piping was bent. He asked a question, 
who in the city can fix this? Because it's a very unique thing. One person says, there's only one person in the city who can fix it. And he gave the name of the person. We went there, that person was able to fix it. And get paid for it. He didn't advertise, but his skillfulness brought us to him. So, let's talk about problem solving. It would be wonderful if you could solve all of the world's problems with one solution. Isn't that, just imagine the magic wand, you wake up one morning, you have the magic wand, and you say, abracadabra, all problems go away in my name. And then it's all gone. But you will discover every problem in every industry, in every country, in every culture is solved differently. And so you have to study how to solve problems so that you can use the methodology on dif in different fields and situations. You will discover as you contemplate the idea of problem solving that the subject is very complex. If you are well prepared, um, we are, or rather, however well prepared we are, problem solving there is always an element of the unknown. This is what you'll see when you look at the scientific approach to problem solving. There's always hidden things that you can't see. As you begin to solve the problem, it will reveal itself. Although planning and structuring will help make the problem solving process more likely to be successful, good judgment and experience will ultimately determine whether your problem solving was a success. In the end, and we'll look at this at the end, later on, once the problem is perceived to be solved, you must be willing to assess the success level of, this, of the solution so that if the problem re-emerge in the future, you can reenact the solution or you can tweak the solution and do it better the next time. That is why uh, people talk about a post-mortem. I don't like the word post or the term post-mortem. It's what you do on a corpse. But to conduct a post-mortem on what you've done to assess if what you've done is the best thing you could have done or if there is another way in which you could do it in the future or just slightly tweak it and get a better result in the future. And this is why it's so important uh, not just to perceive to have solved the problem and then keep on going. Interpersonal relationships fail in businesses because of poor problem solving. Partners get mad at each other, businesses fall apart. I don't know exactly what's happening in Steinhoff at the moment, but I can imagine those giants handling billions are not exactly very happy with each other because they've lost billions of rands in the last couple of weeks. And some of it has to do with the way in which they've handled their affairs and somebody has to take the blame. I would like to think that it was a corporate decision to make that kind of um, um, accounting decisions. But in businesses, when it comes to uh, problem solving, many businesses split because of uh, the inability to solve the problem. It's often due to either problems not being recognized or being recognized but not being dealt with appropriately. This is another aspect. Two things. You can be blind and not see the problem. 
or you could see the problem and ignore the problem. Uh, these are both practices that people have, both personally, corporately, where you can be aware of a problem, but you hope that if you ignore it long enough, it will go away. It doesn't go away, it escalates. This is something you have to embed in your heart, that ignoring the thing is not going to make it go away. It's going to become bigger. Solving a problem involves a certain amount of risk. And this risk needs to be weighed up against not solving the problem. For example, if the problem is relational, you have to determine if solving a relational problem or solve, not solving the problem is more important than retaining the relationship. You have to weigh it up, okay? It's to determine what is the right thing to do. Because in the end, it's more important to contain what you have than to be right. This is something I've learned long ago is that you don't have to be right with everything. The measure of success is not whether you have a tough problem to deal with, but whether it's the same problem you had last year. This is what John Foster Duell said. In other words, dealing with your problems, the issue is not whether the problem is tough, but the issue is, is this the same problem we had last year? In other words, you didn't solve the problem properly last year. It's recurred. Or you solved the problem, but you didn't change what created the problem. And now you have the problem again. So unless you understand what created the problem and remove the forces that create the problem, it's just a matter of time before the problem repeats itself. So problem solving is not crisis management. Crisis management says something is wrong, let's fix it quickly. And we fix the things on the surface. But we don't look at what are the drivers behind the thing that creates the problem. Technically, that's how politicians operate. They don't look at what creates the problem. They look at the surface. How can I solve the problem on the surface and let the constituents know that we've done a good job, everything is fine, we just cover it up and everything is okay because in one year's time, I'm through with this, um, you know, my, my term is over, I'm out of here, why should I invest myself the next person can deal with it. You know? But for us who are in the kingdom of God, our objective should be different. Not only is your life uh, a tremendous investment because you only have a certain amount of years on planet Earth. That's what David said, Lord, teach me wisdom that I may count or value the time that I'm on Earth that I may live purposefully every day. So let's try and determine what is a problem. Let's look at the dictionary to find out what a problem is. The Oxford Dictionary says, a problem is a doubtful or difficult matter requiring a solution or something hard to understand or accomplish or deal with. A problem is a doubtful or difficult matter requiring a solution and something hard to understand or accomplish to deal with. All problems have two features that are common, goals and barriers. Every problem has these two things, a goal and a barrier. 
Firstly, if you look at goals, the goal involves setting out to achieve some objective or desired state of affairs and can include avoiding a situation or event. In other words, you have a goal to go from here to Paul. But the N1 is blocked because there's a riot. So now you have an object, you have a problem because there's a barrier. You now have to find an alternative route in order to reach your destination. That's exactly how problem solving works. You have a destination or a goal that you want to reach. We want to increase the company's turnover in the next fiscal year. That's the goal. The barrier is we don't have enough manpower, or we don't have enough capital, or we don't have enough infrastructure, or we don't have whatever. These are barriers that hinder us from reaching our goal. Now we have to learn how do we circumvent the barriers, or how do we remove the barriers in order to reach the goal. If you cannot deal with the barrier, you cannot reach the goal. So the barrier is the hindrance that prevents you from reaching your goal. And in order to reach the goal, you must remove the barrier. So the barrier is the problem. And to remove the barrier, you have to apply your mind. And the incredible thing is, and this is something I want to say to us, especially because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, God has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Therefore, problem solving with, for the believer starts with the understanding the solution to the problem already exists. I just have to access the solution with the mind of Christ. If I can do that, I can find the solution. That's why the believer should technically outthink, outperform every other individual in every other industry. Because you have the mind of Christ, if you're willing to use it. He's the only wise God. And we should technically be the only wise people. Because we serve him. Barriers then, as I said earlier, if there's a barrier in the way of achieving the goal, or rather if there's no barrier, then there's no problem, which means there's no problem to solve. Problem solving involves overcoming the barriers or obstacles that prevent the immediate achievement of the goal. So we want to remove the barriers. That's why we want to solve the problem. Here's an example of how you could put things in perspective. You have the goal, and you have the barrier. Here's an example. You want to tell a friend that we find something they do irritating. What is the barrier? The barrier is I don't want to hurt their feelings. Now you have to learn how to circumvent the barrier. Okay? You have to learn how to tell someone the truth in love. Without hurting their feeling, communicating it in the right tonality of your voice, the right facial expression, the right body language, you can still say the same thing. 
or you want to buy a new computer, but you're not sure which model to get or how much money to spend, or what is reasonable to spend. That's the barrier. You're going to go into the industry. You have no idea what's available. People are going to offer you all kinds of products and prices. You're going to spend the next week collecting data. And they come back and still not know what to do. You want to set up a new business, but you don't know how to start. That's the barrier. You have the desire. You may have the, 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 the passion. But the barrier is, I don't know how to start. So problem solving has to do with removing the barrier. Whether you go around it, over it, or through it, you want to get it out of the way because it hinders you from reaching your goal. Let's begin with stage one. Stage one is identifying the problem. Before being able to confront the problem, uh, its existence needs to be identified. In other words, you have to determine that the problem is an actual problem and not a presumed problem. Because you can have a problem that you believe exists that doesn't really exist. For example, you may believe that I don't like you. And that is a barrier to our relationship. But that belief can be a figment of your imagination. When you actually talk with me, I can remove the barrier, or you can remove the barrier, and understand that there is no barrier. You see, you have to first determine whether the barrier actually exists to determine what you can remove, and if it can be removed. Once the problem has been identified, its exact nature needs to be determined, and what are the goal and barrier components of the problem. Once you've identified the problem, now you need to look at what is the goal, what is the objective, and what is the barrier that's hindering me from reaching the goal. Some of the main elements of the problem can be outlined, and first attempt of defining the problem should be made. In other words, the first attempt of defining the problem is like just shooting from the hip. This is what I think the problem is. It may not even be a full expression, it will not be a complete understanding. You're just trying to begin to articulate what you think the problem is, because you have to start somewhere. As you begin to articulate, as you begin to write down, as you begin to conceptualize what you think the problem is, it will begin to build out, because you have a thing called an imagination. It will help you to broaden the understanding of what the actual problem is. This definition should be clear enough for you to be able to easily explain the nature of the problem to others. In other words, when you begin to define the problem, remember that you cannot solve a problem that you don't understand, and you cannot solve a problem that you cannot communicate. So you must understand it and be able to communicate it. So you must first understand the problem or at least first understand it the way you understand it, even though what you understand may not be the problem. And then you can communicate that. Then whoever listens to you can adjust your belief marginally or radically to bring a greater, bigger scope to what the problem is. 
Looking at the problem in terms of goals and barriers can offer an effective way of defining many problems and splitting bigger problems into manageable sub-problems. In other words, when you begin to look at a problem and you begin to seek how to solve it, you may discover that this problem actually has smaller problems attached to it. Call them sub-problems. You cannot just maybe solve one or two of the sub-problems that the main problem will remain. So you have to look at it, what are the drivers that create the problems, and even though you have the overarching problem, this problem actually has little children also. You want to eradicate the whole family. Okay? Otherwise, remember, children grows up, and they become problems. In, I'm using that in, in, in the context of the problem solving. Sometimes it will become apparent that what seems to be a single problem is more accurately a series of sub-problems. It's not just a single problem. It has tentacles to it. For example, in the problem, I have been offered a job that I want, but I don't have the transport to get there, and I don't have enough money to buy a car. This is a problem I want to propose to you. I haven't been offered a job. I want it. I don't have transport to get there, and I don't have enough money to buy a car. Firstly, I want to take the job as the main problem. But there are sub-problems. I don't have transport to get there, and I don't have enough money to buy a car. These are sub-problems to the big problem. However, when you say that in one statement, it seems as if all of these problems are related but you can actually dissect them because you can have the job, get the job without the car and without the money if you are willing to follow an alternative route. When you look at problem solving, you will discover that there are not just one solution to a particular problem. There are multiple solutions. You must open your mind up to those possibilities uh, so that you can access them. Stage number two is structuring the problem. You identify the problem, now you have to structure the problem. Because remember, the mind is a very orderly thing. You cannot expect your mind to solve a problem that it cannot understand. Also, never underestimate the power of vision. When you write out the problem on paper, that understanding that you write down is actually scanned by your eyes and stored in your subconscious mind. When you go to bed to sleep at night, your brain may say, okay, I have spare time, let me solve that problem for you. I have a, had a policy that I still practice today. I make no important decisions after lunchtime. Why? The body goes into fatigue. You are tired. You don't make good decisions when you're tired. I make all my important decisions between 7 and 12. When I was in the corporate world, my staff got mad at me. We have a problem. I said, yes, you have it. Hold on to it. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Because I make my best decisions in the morning. In fact, 
share the information with me, but hold on to it. Tomorrow morning I come in, say, that problem, that's the answer. That one, that's the answer. That one, that's the answer. That's gone. Because the mind has the ability to solve those problems while you meditate and rest. It's a good decision for you, quality decision to make. You see, when you make bad decisions, it's normally in the afternoon and the evening because you're tired. Let it stand over for one day. Do it in the morning when you're fresh. You have time to contemplate, meditate, pray, make the decision. Be decisive when you make the decision. It's a good practice that I've, a principle that I've practiced for a long time in my life. Makes some people mad, makes me glad. Stage number two, structure the problem. The second stage of the problem-solving process involves gaining a deeper understanding of the problem. Firstly, facts needs to be checked. Here's an example. The problem is... I want to take a job, but I don't have the transport to get there, and I don't have enough money to buy a car. Here's the facts on the right hand. Do I really want a job? Number two, do I really have to access, no access to transport? The answer is no. There's public transport. There's all kinds of other transport with which you can get to the destination. Can I really not afford to buy a car? You're scrutinizing. You're going through the facts. Because you say, I want a job, but I can't really do the job. I don't have a car. Or I don't. It depends on the kind of thing you have to do. But for this sake, let's consider the idea that public transport is also a possibility. When you go on, you see the goal is, I want to take the job. The barrier is no transport, no money. You have to navigate through those barriers to get to the job, to make the decision Firstly, do I want the job? Secondly, am I willing to risk what I have or don't have to get the job? This is the process of decision-making that you have to go through. You see, God doesn't make these decisions for us. He creates opportunities in which we have to make decisions. It's also useful to have a Representation of a problem. What do I mean by that? Representation is putting it down on paper. Problems can be presented in the following ways. Visually, using pictures, models, or diagrams. In other words, um, you, you take a big piece of paper and you draw. I'll show you some examples. And you write down, this is the problem. And you draw. This is a possible solution. This is another solution. But this solution requires a subsid. There's another sub-solution that must come with this one. And you draw it out on paper, and you're able to see the solution develop in front of you. And you begin to work with it, and you build it. And if you're really creative, you use color-coded pens. You write the problem in red. You begin to write your answers, your solutions in green, and sub-solutions in blue. The mind is very interested in detail and color. You begin to write it out, and you begin to see how um, the solution evolved. Secondly, verbally, that's describing the problem. 
verbally, you have a visual solution that you develop and a verbal solution, which means, I'll give you an example. As soon as man sinned in the garden, God expressed a verbal solution. The heel of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. I'm solving this problem, but let me say something about it. You see, when there is a problem, what you say about the problem at any given time determines whether you have the capacity to solve it. Because the words that come from your mouth frame your reality and possibility of solving the problem. Now, Peter writes, he says, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. That's the world, not the earth. So what is he saying? He says that before there was sin, there was a lamb. That's God's long-range planning. You see? God is not up, you see, God is not in crisis management. The way some people present God is like he's forever in crisis management. He must always do miracles. It's as if God has got no planning. He operates by happenstance. What's your need? Come, let's quickly fix it. You know? There is an order in God and in the kingdom of God, and if you bring your life under that order, you technically should not need a crisis intervention. You shouldn't need a miracle because your life now has become the miracle. The Bible says God has given his sons and daughters as signs and wonders. You become the sign and the wonder because of the way you live and how you function. I'm not saying God will not intervene for us. There's times we need intervention. All of us need intervention at times. But technically, um, the problem is solved. The visual presentations include chain diagrams, flow charts, tree diagrams, and list. So four things. I can't really go into detail with all of these. A chain diagram is basically the elements of the problem are set into, out in words, and you put them into boxes, and you link them with arrows and lines and things so that you can see it more clearer. Flowcharts, I'll show you an example of a flowchart um, over here. A flowchart is an example. You set out to do something, and you say, okay, what do I want to do? I want to build something. I want to design something. The question is, do I have the capacity to do it myself, or do I need to outsource it? Do I have the resources to build it? How long would it take to build it? Do I do it locally, internationally? Where do I do it? You go through all of these diagrams, and you link it up with arrows, and you try and find a solution to the problem. When you look at that, the mind says, okay, what was chaos has become order. We can work with this. While it's in your head, it's all scrambled together. It's like a scrambled egg. You've got to pull it out of there and put it on a piece of paper. That's why the Bible says, write the vision down. When you write it down, it begins to make sense. Stage number three, possible solutions. The first solution I want to suggest is brainstorming. Any one of you have done any brainstorming? not walking with your brain in a storm. <laughs> Brainstorming can be very disruptive, but very interesting, because 
In brainstorming, you can either do it by yourself, but it's not really interesting. You want to have at least three, four, five people together in a room. You want to propose the problem, and then you want to give them freedom to come up with probable solutions to the problem. The interesting thing about that is that people will throw all kinds of stuff at you that has nothing to do with the problem. But it's very important because this is a random exercise of ideas flowing and you do not want to disrupt the flow of the ideas because in the flow, the solution may come. So what do they do? They put up flip charts, sticky papers, all kinds of stuff that people use and you give them freedom. People throw ideas and you just write them down. You just write them down. You just write them down. People bring sticky papers and they have a sub-idea and they put the sticky paper on that idea. And so this is a whole brainstorming event in which people come out. And when you're through with a brainstorming event, there's a whole lot of ideas that's come out of it. Now you have to, the real work begins, which is to sift, short out, and evaluate through that, but it's like mining for gold. It's in there. You see? Because it's the way this whole thing works with brainstorming. I've gone through that. The leader wants to encourage people to have liberty. It, if you have one extrovert in the room, uh, it can be quite disruptive because the person will throw all kinds of stuff the whole time that has nothing to do with the solution of the problem, but you don't want to stop the flow. You just take it, take everything that comes because somebody somewhere is going to throw the right thing at you. A lot of um, papers, I said, post-it notes, flip charts, everything, cokies, all different colors, it must be in the room. People just write it down. The second thing is what is called divergent and convergent thinking. Divergent thinking is the process of recalling possible solutions from past experience and interventions, uh, or rather inventing new ones. So you say, divergent thinking is, this problem existed before in this world. This is not the first time this problem comes up. How did other people deal with the problem? Or... How did I deal with it in the past? Or how did my forebears deal with the problem in the past? Is there record of how this problem was solved in the past? In other words, you go backwards to find a solution that probably already exists. Have you heard the term, there's no need to reinvent the wheel? So it means sometimes the problem already, the solution already exists. You don't have to create it. You can just... Go down and the pathway to some research, to some brainstorming, find out, and you may even find the problem already exists, or the solution already exists. Okay? So, in divergent thinking, thoughts spread out uh, or diverge along a number of paths to arrange possible solutions. It's the process from which many creative problem solving techniques have been designed. Convergent thinking is the subsequent process of narrowing down the possibilities. In other words, once you've looked at possible solutions, you now narrow it down. Just like with brainstorming, you have 20 different ways of solving the problem, but there's only maybe two or three that will really address the problem. So you want to sift through them, evaluate them, 
throw out the ones that don't really work properly and narrow down because you cannot use all of the solutions simultaneously. You want to narrow it down to the best possible solution for the problem that is not only fit your time frame, it fits your budget, it fits the human resources capabilities, and it fits the vision that you want to solve. To meet all of those things. These elements, the elements necessary for divergent thinking include releasing the mind from old patterns of thought and other inhibiting influences. So in order to go down the road of divergent thinking, you want to not say how was this problem solved in the past, but also how can it be solved today. Bring the elements of problem, uh, the problem into new combinations. In other words, looking at how uh, it fits in today's culture, in today's time frame, in today's economic situation. How does it play out today? Not rejecting any ideas during the creative problem-solving period. In other words, when we start the process and someone gives something that you think that's really stupid, you don't say that. You just write it down. You don't stop the flow. Because as soon as you make that suggestion or make that comment, the person shuts down. Actively practicing and encouraging and rewarding the creation of new ideas. Three techniques of divergent thinking are to, number one, bring in someone else from a different area. You'll see this in the corporate world. There's a problem in the Cape Town office, and they bring someone down from Joburg. Why? The person thinks differently, subject to a different culture, a different work ethic, a different mindset. They bring that person in, they come into the local setting, fresh pair of eyes, ears, and the person is able to help adjust what is happening in that environment. The second thing that they do is to question any assumptions that's already made. In other words, we assume these problems, the assumptions is now recorded or documented, now they begin to interrogate these assumptions to see if they are actually factual. And they use creative problem-solving techniques such as brainstorming in the, this particular uh, um, way of solving the problem. Stage four is making a decision. This is very important. Once a number of possible solutions have been arrived at, they should be taken forward through the decision-making process. In other words, you've now gone through several possible solutions, now you have to take it through to the way of implementing the decision-making aspect. This is obviously often when it comes to this part of the journey, you may discover that the best solution is not affordable. The company doesn't have the budget to pay for the best solution. Or it does not fit into the time frame. You may have to import the solution from another country. You may have to find additional human resources or train them. They may have to be sent out for training that will take three or six months. Whatever the solution is, when it comes to the point here of actually um, beginning to, to implement or making decisions, the real crux of the matter now begins to, to um, manifest in the setting. 
Decision-making is an important skill in itself, and you may want to read up on it. This is very important to learn how to make good decisions. Can someone tell me how you learn to make good decisions? By making them. Yeah, by making bad ones. The important thing about learning how to make good decisions is to actually make decisions. And once you've made them, you can evaluate them. That was not a good decision. We're not doing that again. You know? So it's, it's important not just to come to the idea we have to do this, but to actually do it. So that you can have the emotional experience of the decision you've made, so that you can go back and check and say, that was a good decision, we should celebrate that. Or, oops, that was not good, we shouldn't do that again. Oh, that was a costly mistake we've made there. Oh, we should really try to avoid that in the future. So the way of learning how to make good decisions is to make decisions. If you're afraid to make decisions, you will never learn how to make good ones. I've taught people in the past, in leadership, I say, please, for heaven's sake, make some decisions, make some bad ones also, so that you can learn how to make good ones. Information on each suggestion needs to be sought. Risk must be assessed. Each option evaluated through the pros and cons analysis. And finally, a decision made for the best possible option. It's a whole process of decision making that you need to develop. This is a whole different workshop to just learn how to make decisions. Stage number five is implementation. Making a decision and taking a decision is two different things. You didn't hear me. Let me say it again. Making a decision and taking a decision are two different things. You can make a decision by saying, we must do that. Taking the decision is to actually do it. Many people make decisions, but they don't take decisions. You have to implement it. Once you've made the decision, you have to carry through, because until you carry through, you will not have the benefit of the decision. Implementation involves the following. Being committed to the solution, number one. You must be fully committed, or at least to the best of your ability, to the solution that you're looking for. Number two, accepting responsibility for the decision. When the decision is not, or rather when the outcome is not good, don't blame the other people that was part of the decision-making process. That's not good character. Take full responsibility for the decision. Identifying who will be who will implement the solution. Very important in the decision-making process to know who are the people or the department who will implement the solution. And resolving to carry out the chosen solutions. This is very important to carry through. One of the frustrations 
in doing strategic planning for companies, especially large corporations, is a whole week or two weeks is invested in doing strategic planning for a corporation, and then they take the strategic planning and put it on the shelf, and they don't do it. Because the cost involved, or the time involved, or the effort involved is too much for them to invest. They don't want to make the investment. By the way, in my understanding, most churches don't do strategic planning. I believe it's a fundamental thing to, to plan strategically what to do in the future, how to act in the future. Uh, God does not require of us to act through happenstance. We can plan and be prepared so that we can do the best uh, with what we have. Exploring the best possible means of implementing the solution. All of this is involved in implementing implementation. Stage number six is feedback. The only way for an individual or group to improve their problem solving is to look at how they have solved problems in the past. In other words, you now begin to look at how did we do this in the past? Were we pleased with the results? How can we do this better in the future? What were the dynamics at play at the time when we made this decision so that you can make better decisions in the future? To do this, feedback is needed, therefore, but it's important to keep a record of problem solving and the solutions arrived at and the outcomes. Very important to keep a record. Ways of obtaining feedback include monitoring. In other words, when you are in an organization or a company or a ministry, there has to be an infrastructure through which feedback comes, depending on how many, organ or rather how many departments or organizations is in that setting. And through monitoring, feedback can come about decisions that was made, and especially how it impacted the lives of people. Questionnaires, this is a thing that larger companies would use. They would send out a questionnaire into a department to get information back from people. In fact, I notice now in South Africa that some companies, as soon as you've transacted with them, uh, you get a text message on your phone and they want you to evaluate the service. They say, you've been in our store, um, Winston helped you, how was his service? And they have a whole list of questions that you have to answer. Um, some of them are very time consuming. But you need to understand what they're trying to do. They are, they are constantly assessing what they are doing and if they are getting it right. They are investing a lot of money in training of staff and teaching people about products and skills and knowledge and they want to know if the person actually used the training when they interact with their client. Okay? So uh, questionnaires and is, is a valuable thing. Follow-up phone calls. It's another thing that you get. It's not so much here, but in other parts of the world, first world countries, almost as soon as you leave a business, you get a call. What was our service like? Are you happy with it? What can we do better? You know, are you pleased with the product? 
Remember, you have seven days to return it, whatever. This is one of the things, in, for example, in America, um, you can return things almost any time. The box can be all messed up and everything. You can just bring it back as long as you have a receipt in the product. They'll take it back because they just send it back to the manufacturer or the wholesaler because it's not as easy here to return things. You, know, you have to go through the back door if you want to return something. Ask others who may have been affected by your decisions. Getting feedback. It's important to encourage people to be honest when seeking feedback, regardless of whether uh, it's positive or negative. So you want to encourage people when they give feedback to be as honest as possible, even if it's negative. Because you want to um, be able to gather the information to improve your decision making in the future. Conclusion on problem solving. Problem solving involves seeking to achieve goals and overcoming barriers. The stages of problem solving includes identification of the problem, structuring the problem through the use of some form of representation, looking for possible solutions, often through techniques of divergent thinking. So these are the several things we've talked about now. We talked about uh, identification of the problem, structuring the problem through the use of some representation. We talked about graphs, identity um, formats, trees, different things that you can use to develop the idea, and looking for possible solutions, often through techniques of divergent thinking. Once possible solutions have been arrived at, one of them will be chosen through a decision-making process. The final stages of problem solving involve implementing your solution and keeping feedback as to the outcome. Feedback can be recorded for help with future problem solving scenarios. Our conclusion, the old saying is true. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade because you already have within you the capacity to solve problems until you are willing to dig deep until you believe I can solve this problem you see when a problem confronts you and you have the belief that the problem is bigger than you then you have just been incapacitated from solving the problem that's why Jesus said when you say to this mountain, cast yourself into the sea, it will do it. When you stand in front of the problem and you speak to the problem, remember the problem has the ability to hear. You speak to it, just like God did. The heel of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He says, then the problem receives notification that within a certain space of time, it will be eradicated. It prepares itself to remove itself. But if you say, I have a problem. As I said last night, you say, I have a challenge. When you say, I have a problem, the mind says, we are in trouble. When you say, I have a challenge, the mind says, wonderful, let's solve it. It's a different response. Okay? Remember, words are powerful. 
And so you have to train yourself in how to speak with yourself about situations. Life gives you lemons, make lemonade. This is the essence of problem solving. In other words, you understand. God has said to, to us, I have already given you everything you need for life and godliness. You said, but where is it? Why can't I see it in my bank account? Okay. He's given it to us. He also promised that he will bless the works of our hands. He's also made covenant with us that he will ensure that we will have everything we need for life. That's the good God we serve. However, we have to come to the place where we understand life will not present it to you on a silver platter. Whatever you want, you have to go after. It takes faith, trust, belief, hope, commitment, dedication, enthusiasm, energy to get what God has promised you. When we go after it, God will work with us. He told the nation of Israel, he says, I'm sending an angel ahead of you into the wilderness. He says, you listen carefully to him. Listen to his words. If you do that, you're going to succeed massively. You see, God has given us his word. And we, if we begin to align our thinking and believe that, you, you see, before you can be great, you must first believe in the potential of your greatness. Before you can solve a problem, you must first believe that you can solve the problem. Before you can have anything, you first have to believe that you can have it. You have to give yourself permission to have it. You see, this is what I said on Sunday also, when you have a dual, when you, have, when you are double-minded, one part of your being desires to be blessed of God, confess blessings of God, but the other part of your, of, your, of, your, of your reality says, no, we are poor, we are needy. No, this is January. If you have a birthday in January, you buy a sliced bread and you put candles on it. You see... When you have the self-talk, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, God comes to you and he evaluates your heart and tests your reins, your kidneys, and will give to you according to what he finds in you. That's an incredible, threatening idea. That God observes me and he says, okay, that's what you want, have it. Remember, what we have now is the exact result of what we believed for. You cannot blame God for anything. Solving problems in your organization will give you much value, will give you leverage, and separate you from the unproductive and get you noticed. It's an incredible thing when you work in a company and whenever something goes wrong, they come to you. They know you have the answer. 
Even when you're on holiday, they call you. We have a problem. What do we do when this happens? You should take two steps left, like a wheel cart, <laughs> and then you jump off the wall. The standout leader understands this maxim. The greater the problem overcome, the greater the reward. You will know this. It becomes known in your industry. You become known for the person who can solve problems. What is it that makes Solomon such a wise person? The Bible records him as the wisest man who ever lived. So before DNA testing... Paternal and maternal testing. Two women both had a baby on the same night. The one rolled over and killed the baby. And so the next morning they woke up and the one woman who lost her baby took the other one's child and said, this is my child. So now they go to Solomon to settle the case. So the woman, the one says, this is my child. The other one says, this is my child. This is my child. This is my child. Solomon says, no problem. Bring a sword. Let's cut it in half. You both get half. So the real mother says, no, give the child to her. Solomon says, it's her baby. Give the baby to her. You see, problem solving is something that you develop as you walk with God and as you learn how to develop your capacity to solve things. Some will come natural. Some you have to do analytical. But you have to learn how to do both, analytically and naturally. Some solutions, you already have the solution to the problem in your heart. People just touch you, say, that's the answer. Some you have to research. Some you have to study. Some you have to get others' input, depending on the problem. So the important thing I want to stress this evening is problem solving for a believer starts with the belief that I already have the solution. I just need to access it. If you don't believe that, then all of your skedaddle to find the solution will not bring it to you because you don't believe, firstly, that you can solve the problem. It begins with belief. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is something you have to learn from the Chinese. You ask a Chinese, can you make this chair? He asks you, how many containers? He's never made a chair in his life. That's not even a, a problem to him. He knows I can connect with the people who can make it, and I'm going to make a buck out of this. He's already selling it in container loads. He's never made one. People come, if a person comes to you and says, I have an assignment for you to do something, and, for example, the assignment must be completely out of a field. You've never done anything in that industry. You say, no, I'm sorry, I don't do that. You maybe have just canceled out a possible thing that could bless you. A man asked me one day if I can do a business plan on agriculture and dairy farming. I've never milked a cow since I was a child. I said, yes, of course I can do that. Because I can do all things. I can do everything I want to do. The only things I don't do is what I don't want to do. So when a situation presents itself to you, don't wipe it off the table. 
consult. The wisdom to solve the problem may already be within you. God have brought, maybe it's a time God brought something to you to stretch you. To take you in a new avenue of development. You've been praying, oh God, bring new opportunities. Now it comes to you and says, I don't do that. Be willing to explore. Be willing to think outside of the box. Be willing to evaluate things as they come to you. God brings opportunities to us. Don't just cancel them out. At least evaluate them. At least seek to determine if this could be valuable to you. And then make a decision after that. I want to encourage you. This part was a bit technical this evening. But go over it. Look at it again. Because this is... The world has turned every aspect of life into a science. Problem solving is a science. When you go into a company, they say, we want you to solve this problem. What is the methodology of problem solving that you use? They come into a company that says, we want change management done here. What is the systems that you use? Because in the industry, there's accepted, accepted in the systems that they use. If you can't speak the language, you're not going to get the job. At least know the language. And I want to encourage you because as a people, we have to learn how to be more open-minded. We have been suppressed for so long in this country that even though the lid has been removed, we still have a ceiling on our heads. Liberation begins with yourself in yourself. You must believe that I can do all things through Christ. It strengthens you. Any questions that you may have about this presentation this evening? Debbie, you look like you have a big question. <laughs>